The text for this morning's message is from Matthew chapter 12, verses 14 through 21. The Pharisees went out and took counsel against him how to destroy him. Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there, and many followed him, and he healed them all and ordered them not to make him known. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased, I will put my spirit upon him, and he shall proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not wrangle or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. He will not break a bruised reed or quench a smoldering wick till he brings justice to victory, and in his name will the Gentiles hope. As I've tried to prepare my own heart for Holy Week and what is coming, a series of pictures has come before my mind again and again, and I want to try to take you into that uh, gallery and let you see what is there. A little lamb was born in one of these pictures, all woolly white and with skinny legs and a wet nose, pretty much like all the other lambs. But as this little lamb grew into a sheep, the other sheep began to notice something different about this lamb. It had a strange lump on his forehead, and at first they thought he'd been hit by something, but it, it never went down. And even that lump might have ceased to draw attention to itself if it hadn't been for the fact that he started doing strange things. The lump seemed to be so heavy that he always walked around with his head near the ground as though he were bowing in reverence to some invisible king. Then he began to seek out other sheep who were sick or wounded, and he would use that firm, soft lump of wool that was on his forehead to help them back on their feet or to wipe away their tears. Well, big flocks of sheep started to follow this sheep around, and the goats, of course, just laughed at him. Sheep are disgusting enough, but a sheep with a big lump on his forehead is almost beyond toleration. So they harassed him and made up all kinds of jokes and taunts. How come you hang your woolly head? You lump made out of wool and lead? Ha, 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 they laughed. And it just infuriated them when he would just walk away from them and keep on doing good in his quiet works of mercy. So one day the goats surrounded him and rammed him with their horns until he died and left him alone in the field. But as he lay there, something very strange happened. He began to get bigger and bigger. And the bloody wool fell away and revealed a sleek, white, horse-like hair. And the soft, 
pad of deep white wool dropped off his forehead. And straight out of that merciful lump grew a mighty horn of crimson steel. Unlike any horn that has ever been or ever will be again. And then, as if by command, the massive unicorn leaped to his feet. And his back was eight feet tall above the ground. And his muscles in his shoulders and neck were like marble. The tendons in his legs were like cables of iron. And his head was no longer bowed. And when he looked to the right or to the left, His crimson horn slashed the air like a saber dipped in blood. And when the sheep saw him, they fell down and worshipped. And he bowed and he touched each one of them on the forehead with the point of his horn and whispered something very special in their ear. And then he soared away into the sky and has never been seen again. That's my vision for Holy Week. And I think the reason it's there is because this morning's text has been simmering on the back burner of my mind since January. The text is a portrait of Jesus Christ painted by the prophet Isaiah in the 42nd chapter of his book, and taken by Matthew and put on display in his gallery in the 12th chapter, verses 18 to 21. And like every good work of art, it has a purpose. And the purpose of this portrait is to inspire you with hope. Indeed, not only you, but the Gentiles as far as the message of this portrait can reach. And my prayer for you this morning is that you would put your hope in Jesus Christ. Not in your family and not in your job and not in your health and not in your leisure. Not in your intelligence. Not in anything that people are prone to hope in but in Jesus Christ. Because I know that everything but Jesus will let you down in the end. And if you put your hope in Jesus, He will be honored and you will never regret it. So let's highlight some of the features of this portrait. First of all, let's see where the portrait is sitting in the gallery. The Pharisees have just taken counsel together in verse 14 to kill Jesus because He healed a man on the Sabbath day. Blows your mind away. Instead of taking up arms to protect himself and establish his kingdom by right, Jesus retreats. A tactical retreat for now, you might call it. But even on retreat, look what he does. Verse 15, many followed him and he healed them all. Even while retreating from his enemies, he is merciful to the needy. So he tries to avoid violence by withdrawing from his rabid enemies. And he tries now to avoid notoriety by saying to the crowds, Don't make me known 
when I've healed you. Verse 16. He refuses violence, he refuses ostentation, and he quietly goes about his work of mercy in the world. And that prompts Matthew to take a portrait of him from the 42nd chapter of Isaiah and hang it right here in verses 18 to 21. So I want you to look with me at this portrait, and there is so much here you could look at it for years Richard Sibbs wrote a book about these verses, and the book is about 300 pages. I won't keep you that long this morning. But just so you know that if you want something to ponder on Palm Sunday afternoon, I won't exhaust this text for you. Three features. One, what is the spring or source of Jesus' life? That's found in verse 18, first half. Second feature... What's the spirit of Jesus' ministry? That's found in the second half of verse 18 and on up into verse 20. And third, what's the success of Jesus' struggle? That's found in verses 20 and 21. Let's take them one at a time and look at them briefly. The spring of his life. If you climb along the stream of Jesus' life up into the mountain where it all starts, where do you end up? Verse 18, Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased, God says to Jesus. The spring of Jesus' life, in summary, is that he is chosen, loved, and enjoyed by God. It's no small thing to be chosen by God. God's choosing isn't like our choosing. We are always given options. God is never given options. He makes options. Therefore, He didn't canvas the candidates for the Jewish Messiah in Palestine and hit upon the best candidate, Son of Mary. Instead, from all eternity, He has begotten the only candidate who could bring hope to this lost world and Jesus Christ came into the world as the eternally begotten and chosen son but the spring of his life is not only that he's chosen it's also that he's loved behold my servant whom I have chosen my beloved and then God makes sure that we know what kind of love this is it's not a Uh, disinterested benevolence towards Jesus. It's not a dutiful debt of honor that he must pay to Jesus. It's a deep pleasure in Jesus. Look what he says. Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved, with whom my soul is well pleased. I have pleasure in this Jesus, my son. Surely when God says that, He delights in His Son from His soul. Do you ever think about God having a soul? Surely what God means is, I love Him and I delight in Him with my soul, is that the love and the delight that He has in His Son is by nature. He doesn't have to work it up or muster it up. It's spontaneous. When He beholds Jesus Christ, He sees that which by nature calls forth from Him His most profound, deep, and spontaneous delight. You see what that implies? That means that God the Father is an idolater. 
unless what he sees in Jesus is an image of himself. Jesus is God's greatest delight because Jesus is God. The spring, the fountain of all that Jesus is and does is that he is chosen, loved, and enjoyed by God as God. Second feature in this portrait, the spirit of Jesus' ministry, verses 18 to 20. I will put my spirit upon him, and he shall proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not wrangle or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. He will not break a bruised reed or quench a smoldering wick. Now what makes that text so beautiful and amazing is that Jesus Christ holds the most privileged position in the universe. He has absolute authority over every individual in this room, whether you believe in him or not. You are his to dispose of as he pleases because he made you. If any man or any king ever had a right to bring forth his kingdom from a rebellious people by force of arms and battle cries, it's Jesus. And he didn't do it. When God anointed him with his Holy Spirit, the effect was very different. It says, he will not wrangle or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. In other words, he will not deal with his enemies now by desperate quarreling or loud disputes or uproars in the streets. When the river of your life runs deep, it can be smooth. Too many people today are trying to show that they have the fullness of the Spirit by a frenzy of activity and loudness and harshness and much show. Jesus simply did his work and tried not to have any notoriety. In quietness and trust will be your strength, says the Lord. The kingdom of Christ is not the kingdom of this world, Jesus said to Pilate. If it were, my disciples would fight. Instead, they let you kill them. It would come with clashes in the street. It would come with loud disputes and battle cries of violence, but instead it comes like a mustard seed. It comes like leaven in a lump of dough. It comes like righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. It is received like a child and it conquers by the force of truth and love and the Holy Spirit. The spirit of the ministry of Jesus is the spirit of tenderness with people who are broken and weak. Verse 20 has got to be one of the most comforting verses in all the Bible. He will not break a bruised reed or quench a smoldering wick. Picture one of these uh, amaryllis bulbs like Leah gave me for my birthday in January. 
you take it home and you water it and put it in the right place and it starts to grow, right? And it takes off about an inch a day at its fastest, it looked like to me. And at the top, there comes out these huge, mine were orange, huge orange blossoms, four of them. And you put it in the middle of the dining room table. And then along comes a toddler and pulls the tablecloth. And it goes clunk and snaps. And you lift it up and it just clunk and he's beautiful four blossoms lying there on the table. And you try to set it up and it's just like it's got a hinge in it. And you you say, well, it was nice for a while. And you cut it off and hope for another one to grow up. That's what Jesus does. He does not break a bruised reed. Not that he doesn't ever do some painful pruning in our lives. He does. But when life has dealt us a devastating blow, and our heads are on the ground in desperation, Jesus does not come along and say, well, too bad, clip, maybe somebody else will take their place. He doesn't do that. The text says he doesn't do that. I've talked to some bruised reeds in our congregation recently. And I tell you, I just love being a Christian pastor because I don't know what people who aren't Christians say to the kinds of bruised reeds that I've tried to talk to. One of the things I love to say to them is, the Lord, this is Psalm 34:18. The Lord is near the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. He doesn't kick you when you're down. The spirit of Jesus is gentle for now. The servant of the Lord uses splints. He uses soft bandages and props. He doesn't trample the oppressed. He does not break bruised reeds nor does he quench smoldering wicks my guess is that this morning a lot of you are here and feel like your spiritual lamp is almost out and some of you have just a little flicker burning and others it's gone and just a little toothpick of smoke is coming up out of the wick. And the word of the Lord Jesus to you this morning is that He does not quench little sparks of spiritual life left in you. The Spirit of the Lord is upon Him gentle for now. As long as this life lasts, the atmosphere around Jesus Christ is all oxygen. And if you, with the slightest little spark in your wick, draw near to Him, it will glow. And He will fan it into a torch for His glory. These are comforting words from the Word of God. But we need to ask, for whom are these words? Jesus did not speak tenderly to everybody. Who is a bruised reed? Who is a smoldering 
wick. I think a bruised reed and a smoldering wick are the penitent sinners who are crushed by circumstances or by their own failures and despairing of their own wisdom to make anything worthwhile out of their lives in themselves and who are poor in spirit and who mourn and are like the publican who cried out, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That's the bruised reed and the smoldering wick. But the tone of our Lord Jesus Christ is very different toward the unrepentant sinner. There are a lot of people today who feel just as miserable as a bruised reed feels, but will not let their sin go. Jesus said to the rich young man, Sell your possessions, give alms, follow me, you'll have treasure in heaven. And he turned away, it says, sorrowfully, broken, with his head on the ground, disobedient, pitiful. There are a lot of people like that around today and the words of Isaiah 42 and Matthew 12, 18 to 21 are not intended to give them comfort at all. It is not a loving thing to speak words of comfort to unrepentant sinners in their sin. Loving words for unrepentant sinners are words of warning. And therefore Jesus says, Truly I say to you, it will be hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Those are scary, loving words to people who love their money. But for the poor in spirit who humble themselves and cry out for mercy and turn from their sin, he is a tender healer and full of mercy and abounding in steadfast love. But we've seen now the spring of Jesus' life that He is chosen, loved, and delighted in by God as God. And we've seen the spirit of His ministry that He is tender and compassionate and will not break a bruised reed or quench a smoldering wick. And now finally... Let's look at the third feature of the portrait, the success of his struggle. It says in verse 20 that he's going to carry on this merciful ministry until he brings justice to victory and in his name will the Gentiles hope. As long as impenitent people are prospering and penitent people who are broken are miserable, justice is not being done. God promises, however, that He will lead justice to victory. The tables are going to be turned someday. The meek will inherit the earth someday. The mourning will be comforted. He's going to gather the weeds into bundles and throw them into the fire. And He is going to gather His wheat and put them in barns. And the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. Isaiah 
gives us his own commentary on this portrait in chapter 11, when he says, He shall not judge by what he sees or decide by what he hears, but with righteousness he will judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall slay the wicked. Justice will come when the unrepentant sinners are punished, and when the repentant who trust in Jesus are exalted and glorified with Him in heaven. And so the text closes with a worldwide promise. In His name, the Gentiles will hope. The message of Christ's forgiveness and tenderness is not limited to Jews. Even though Jesus is the Jewish Messiah, His message of mercy and forgiveness and compassion will extend to every nation and there will be people from every tongue and tribe and nation who bow before him on that day and hope in Jesus Christ. So let me close now by drawing out just a few implications of these three features for our lives. The spring of his life is this. He is chosen Loved and enjoyed by God. Two implications. One, if you want to know what God delights in, look at Jesus. And secondly, if you want for God to take delight in you, obey Jesus and be filled with His Spirit. The second feature. The Spirit of Jesus is that He is tender and forgiving and healing. He doesn't break bruised reeds or smoldering wicks. The only people with whom Jesus is severe are unrepentant people. And therefore, take heart, bruised reeds. You are not beyond healing unless you are beyond humbling. And finally, the success of his struggle. He is going to overcome someday everything that bruises reeds and quenches wicks. And the attempt to hope in anything but Jesus is utter folly. It's like setting your hope on things that are going to peter out in the end. It's like a lamb trying to satisfy its thirst by sucking at the nipple of a mother wolf. There might be a brief satisfaction, but she will have you for supper. You remember the last scene of the unicorn and the worshiping sheep? The mighty unicorn bows and touches each sheep on the forehead with his crimson steel horn and says something very precious into their ears, this is what he says. I touch you now with my crimson horn and raise my lump upon your head to signify that you're newborn with power that raised me from the dead. I send you now as I was sent to fan the wick and heal the reed. Take mercy to the world's extent 
and you will reign with me indeed. Amen.